Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their consistency is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings, Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people in Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's uh, pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on these words from the prophet Isaiah, that you would help us to hear them and help us to know how we might be a community of people that inhabit these words um, and who wait as people comforted by your nearness to us and your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, a few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast version of morning prayer that I sometimes utilize when I go out on a walk. It's from an app called Pray As You Go. Some of you may be familiar with it. Um, 
Some of you might want to become familiar with it. It's a lovely app. But the reading that morning was from 1 John, John's first letter, where he says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. What we will be has not yet been revealed. But what we do know is that when he is revealed, we will be like him. And then the liturgist on the podcast um, led us in reflecting on parts of this, specifically this simple statement, what we will be has not yet been revealed. And it was a moment in which he invited us to sit with the unknownness of our future and asked us very simply, what is it like for you and for me to allow God to hold our future, a future that we really don't know and can't control, but to trust that our loving Father holds it for us. That characterizes the walk of faith. And it's a hard walk for many of us, particularly those of us that feel like we like to control things. Um, but it's, it's the walk of faith, and it is the walk of the Advent life, I think, as well, as we live in this space in which we look into our world and we look into our lives and we acknowledge it's not what it will be, it's not what it ought to be, it's not even what we want it to be. Can we entrust ourselves to a God who loves us while we sit and wait? This morning's text is a rather famous and familiar one from Isaiah chapter 40, and it invites us to let God comfort us in the midst of our waiting lives. So let's think about this text this morning, and there are three things I'd like to point out. The tenderness of God, the power of God, and the compassion of God. So the tenderness of God. These opening words that Isaiah speaks, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is a really interesting part of the text for a variety of reasons, but notably because it marks a turn in the the prophecy of Isaiah in which it has been largely dark up through chapter 39. And now we move into these just beautiful words of exhortation, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. These are words written to those in exile and they're words written even it seems to the city of the exile, the place, Jerusalem, desolate, because it is void of God's people who have been carried off. There's no embodiment of all the life of God in the land that God himself envisions, the way we live with God, the way we live with neighbor, and justice, and beauty, and goodness, and peace. The prophecy seems to imagine the emptiness of that landed space in the city and the people carried off in exile away from all that is familiar to them about their life with God. All of the ritual that would have ordered the way they lived life with God in the land and in the city and in the temple worship. Sit with that for just a moment because we're in the midst of a pandemic in which we're not necessarily physically exiled, but we are experiencing the same kinds of results of exile. We're not gathered for worship this morning as we are filming. There are about five or six, seven people in the room. That is not ordinary. We're not accustomed over these last eight or nine, 10 months of being together in all of the ritual ways that we would ordinarily be together. 
This is the second Sunday of Advent, and in the life of City Church, this would always be the Sunday in which we had a lessons and carol service in which we invited our neighbors from around the city to come and be with us as we rehearsed the story of Jesus through the pages of Scripture. So all of the routines that we so often have leaned into collectively as a gathered people of God, we're not able to lean into in this space. The city that's imagined here in Isaiah's prophecy is a city that is empty and vacant. It's a people that are distant from their land and all that is familiar to them. And the beauty of this moment is that God says, enough. Enough. The imagery is of someone speaking to the deepest part of ourselves, maybe looking onto your very core center, your heart center, personally, but also, I think, the heart of a city itself. And God tenderly speaks to Jerusalem and says, enough. Your sins are forgiven. The debt is paid in full. God says, it's over. It's finished. The distance between us is over. It's done. The distance between the goodness of his kingdom come to earth and our lack of experiencing it is done. It's time for the fullness of his kingdom to erupt in our world. One of the things that I've learned about myself over the years of being a follower of God, maybe now 50 years or so, one of the things I've learned is that God more quickly says enough than I say enough. I mean by that very simply that I can so easily, as we were thinking last week in our text, how we spiral down into spaces of confession in which we see our own darkness or the darkness of someone in our community or even someone that we love and we get lost in the space of sin and brokenness and evil and discord. I could get so lost in that space that I don't say enough. I don't hear God say enough. God doesn't struggle to forgive us in the same way that we often struggle to forgive ourselves. Is there a part of your story this morning as you're thinking about this particular text and you're listening to these words, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, that you need to specifically hear that God looks upon your life, your life story, our collective life story as a community of churches now coming together our life even in this city or even culturally in our nation, in which God just speaks tenderly to us, enough. I'm aware of the struggle. The burden is lifted. Your sins are forgiven. Comfort ye, comfort ye. What would it look like for you to receive these words of comfort this morning into the context of your own waiting? The second aspect here is the power of God, and this text beautifully calls us to reflect on the power of God as an absolute power, as a glorious power. The words of comfort are only as meaningful and trustworthy as the one who speaks them, and you know that when you've been in a context where someone has perhaps said, everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be fine, and you've looked on them sometimes and you've thought, upon what basis do you say something like that? right? It just seems naive. It feels like a platitude because you know that you're hearing words maybe from a parent, maybe from, a, from a, someone that's an employer of yours, someone with some, even with wisdom, but you know that they're human words. They're words coming from a fallible human being who lacks the power to deliver the goods. 
These words are coming from God. The voice crying out across this wilderness space says, the Lord is coming. Uh, These are comfortable words that are his words. They're not my words. They're not your words. They're his words. Then the prophecy calls our imagination to rally around something that ancient people would have experienced or certainly known something of. And that is that when a king goes into a conquered territory or even a part of their own territory that they've not previously been made, you'd build out a boulevard so that the parade of his greatness could be shown forth to all that would be seeing. Isaiah essentially says here, that the boulevard will be made, the highway will be built. And even if there are mountains in the way, they'll they'll be torn down. And if there's a valley that's too deep, it'll be lifted up. In other words, nothing will stand in the way of the display of God's greatness. Isaiah says, nothing will get in the way of this road the Lord is building so that he might get near us, near his people, near us with his promise of comfort of meeting us. Think about the experience of Israel in this particular moment. In an exilic situation, they're captive by a political superpower, Babylon, and living under their domination for a long enough time to be cynical and to be in despair. In other words, any words of comfort could have easily be experienced as platitudes, sort of a naive hope. Isaiah knows that about these people. And immediately, the voice is contrasted with human voices, right? The text takes us into verse 6. The voice contrasts with God, the king who's coming, right? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. I don't think these are words that are meant to passively or even aggressively put us in our place. Rather, they're hopeful words. These aren't words of judgment about human sort of limitations, but they're a simple, a compassionate and honest, generous acknowledgement that human beings live with limits. We're finite. We're not infallible. We're boundary people. We wither beneath the hot and the cold wind of suffering beneath God's greatness. And here, God wants us to know that the words of comfort, the assurance of comfort, are not coming from another human source, but rather from God's own self. He is the one who offers this hope. And God's power is absolute, and it is turned toward our good. His goodness or his power is leveraged toward us to comfort us. So when you imagine God, Do you imagine him as a God who stands in all of his great array of power as someone who would bless you with that power? Do you see him as someone who has postured himself toward your goodness, toward your flourishing? The tenderness of God, the power of God, and now finally the compassion of the Lord. At verse 11, we read that he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. In other words, the Lord holds power as a shepherd might hold power. God is like a shepherd. God is a shepherd who cares for his people. 
He holds power and resources so that he might be able to feed us, lead us, gather the lambs in his arms. These are tender, beautiful images of a God who is compassionate toward his people. So what is it that keeps us sometimes from imagining God is coming to us in compassion? These images that we've talked about, the mountains raised up or the valleys that are so deep, are there ways in which you might think of these not simply as things out in our world, which they certainly are, the superpowers that would sort of rise up in an offensive way against God's kingdom? There's certainly that. But maybe there are also ways in which each of us, and institutionally even, we need to think about these as metaphors for our own tendencies to resist God, to hold him at bay, to keep him out there. Ways in which we all throw up our hands to God, saying no further. When I think about it, that in the context of my own life and I hear these words, the question that I ask myself and I would ask you this morning is just simply this, can you hear these comfortable words of God as words that he offers you this morning in your particular context of waiting? What's it been like this week? What's the bad news that's come your way? There have been stories in our own congregation of suffering and continued suffering, of people being tested positively for COVID, of persons being experiencing sort of the, the disorder of even our own city. How are you experiencing the brokenness of this world in this season? Is it an intensification of loneliness because you are isolated more than ever? It's the holiday season when you might at least think about festive moments in the body of Christ or festive moments with your family. And the thought of spending this dark winter in greater isolation just undoes you. How can you receive the words of the Lord this morning to comfort you in this moment? Our gospel reading links the voice of John the Baptist in the days of Jesus to the voice of the one shouting in the wilderness to make way the presence of the highway for the Lord. John came reminding the people of God that God's promised kingdom was real and it was coming. And he did that in the midst of all of the distractions of the Roman Empire. And in the midst of all of the distractions of all of the internal religious ideas of what it meant for Israel to pursue faithfulness, John simply came reminding the people of God that God intended to bring his kingdom of peace. And the way into that is this practice of repentance by which we realign ourselves with God's deepest longings to bring the gift of his kingdom into existence. He said that these promises were coming true in the Messiah, in Jesus, who was greater than himself, and that he would do more than simply physically baptize with water, which symbolically sets you aside and demonstrates a washing away of our sins and an inclusion in the people of God, but rather that Jesus would give us his spirit himself so that we would be renewed in the likeness of God as we express our own humanity in the midst of our waiting moment. He meets us today in this Advent season. One of the things that some of the commentators around Advent will speak of is we acknowledge that we reflect back on the first coming of Jesus, the gift of his birth. 
And we anticipate the second coming of Jesus when he returns and brings the fullness of his kingdom. But there's a third coming of Jesus that they would urge us to think about sometimes. And it's just simply this, how Jesus by his spirit meets us in our present moment and reminds us that we are the children of God, much beloved. And while we do not know what we will be, we know that when he returns, we will be made like him. So this morning, as you reflect on these words of comfort, how would Jesus meet you by his spirit and lift your spirits so that in this Advent season, you would live and love as you have been loved? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.